Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Shift with Gina. This is the first episode that I'm doing for this, I guess you could call it a new show. Um, you guys have probably seen me on another podcast called I'm Doing Great. But um, I, for a while now, I've had a women's, a private women's group that's all about health, wellness, and uh, culture from uh, a woman's perspective. So this podcast is just some additional content to go along with some of the stuff that we do in The Shift. Um, the Shift is also, uh, it's a great place for weight loss goals, women who are brand new to fitness, brand new to weight loss and health in general. We do weekly workouts and we do, I do exclusive content over there every week. We do a weekly webinar, I share recipes, we do health challenges. It's only for women, sorry guys. But there's just been a lot of topics that we've been talking about, not only in the health and wellness space, but also just from a cultural perspective that I wanted to um, post some additional content, some longer form content. So for today's episode, I want to talk about a trend that has been picking up a lot of speed lately. And I think all in all, it's a good thing, uh, but I think we need to have a, a, a deeper conversation about it to really understand it and to apply it so that it becomes useful for our society. The trad wife. The trad wife, the traditional wife, is having a moment in our culture right now. Um, just in the last 12 months alone, the number of Google searches for the phrase trad wife meaning increased 550%. And just in the month of March alone, the searches for trad wife doubled just in the last month. So there has been, you know, you also couple this with what you see on social media accounts like Ballerina Farm. Ballerina Farm is one of the most watched accounts on Instagram. Uh, it's a family out in Utah, this impossibly beautiful couple with seven children. They live on a farm. They, their whole tagline is city folk turned ranchers. Um, they, I mean, it recently came out that the father is the son of the JetBlue founder who's worth like $500 million. So there's been some drama and controversy about um, the family sort of cosplaying farm life. But I think that's a little bit silly because they do live the farm life. And the whole point is that Ballerina Farm and accounts similar to that are um, becoming very popular because the state of our culture has made it to where people are really interested in the trad wife life, just the trad life in general, but particularly in the trad wife. Hannah Nealman, who was the mother and wife of the ballerina farm family, um, she was a ballerina who studied at Juilliard University, seven kids, and she's always posting these uh, very comforting videos of her cooking these elaborate homemade meals. She makes homemade sourdough bread, um, homemade mozzarella cheese, and she's making these beautiful layers of lasagna, and she makes um, these meatball subs, and sh she makes really wonderful home-cooked food. And her her videos get millions and millions and millions of views. I'm talking about like 72 million views, 14 million views. At the bare minimum, her videos usually get at least three or four million views, which is a lot of engagement for something like Instagram and TikTok. Um, and she's just one of several examples. You see a lot of other YouTubers like Arielle Tyson. She also has seven kids, lives on, I don't know if it's a farm, but lives on a big piece of land in Tennessee. And there's just been a lot more interest in the trad wife life. And I love seeing that. Overall, it's a fantastic thing because we, I think one of the reasons why people have become so much more interested in the trad wife is because the polar opposite of that is the Fresh and Fit podcast, the whatever podcast. 
of women who have OnlyFans accounts, they do porn, they actively look for sugar daddies, and they go on these shows and just expose the degeneracy of millennial and Gen Z women. I think our society, which I've talked about many times um, on my social media, on YouTube, wherever, our society rewards bad behavior from women. Our society encourages women to be sexually promiscuous, encourages them to abort their own babies, encourages them to participate in porn and OnlyFans, at, or even at a point where mainstream culture encourages women to cheat on their husbands. Not even joking. You can go to bustle.com. They just did this big article about how cheating is a feminist act of self-care. I'm not exaggerating. That is not hyperbole. We now have people who are claiming that cheating on your husband is a form of self-care. There's an author named Joe Piazza. She did this entire podcast on how infidelity for a woman can be an act of self-care. So our culture just continuously rewards bad behavior from women. And then, like I said, these podcasts, like the whatever podcast, Dating Talk, they do it every Sunday and Tuesday night. And Brian Atlas gathers these women around the table that are just, you know, they're all OnlyFans girls. And they have a room temperature IQ. And you listen to these girls talk about these insane double standards. They expect their man to be over six foot two. And he's got to be a 10 out of 10. And he's got to be rich and a really nice guy and have a full head of hair. And it's got to be super sexy. And they think they're all 10s out of 10s. And it's just a really sad thing to see because feminism and the sexual revolution, as we know, I don't even have to tell you, they have ruined women. They have ruined society. And it's starting to make society just decay away, large amounts of society to just decay away. So naturally, the trad wife movement is picking up speed because men are realizing that most women in society are trash. Why would you want to even approach one of these girls? Why would you even want to consider dating a girl who has shown her naked body online, who has had sex with men online? The idea of having a wife and one day the mother of your children who has exposed herself on the internet like that is just not, not even an option for men, which I completely understand. So trad wife is picking up speed and we also are having a sort of countercultural movement right now with tradition in general and marriage and having children. And I think right now conservatives for the most part are in and of themselves countercultural, right? So the society always goes through ups and downs or uh, the pendulum always swings. That's what I mean to say. The pendulum is always swinging. And right now I feel like we're just starting, the pendulum is starting to swing back to tradition, um, back to family values, and hopefully back to conservative values. And there's this countercultural movement because right now the thing that is rock and roll, the thing that is punk rock is family, marriage, and tradition. So the trad wife is making a comeback. And all in all, that's a great thing. You know, you have a lot of these Instagram accounts and TikToks and um, a lot of influencers who are just living this dream, the idyllic life of the trad wife. She's cooking, she's beautiful, she's all natural, no Botox or lip fillers, barefoot in the kitchen, pregnant with children at her heels, making the most wonderful food and supporting her husband and his professional dreams. And all in all, it's great, but I think what we need to really be honest about is I think this is this is my opinion and not maybe not everyone on the right is going to agree with me but I think that what we've done is we've replaced true tradition with trad porn. Um 
and in a way, like I said, I understand why the trad, the tradition, uh, subculture on it, on social media is gaining so much speed. But I think that we've replaced tradition with trad porn. What I mean by that is you can't fully understand what the traditional wife is and what her role is without understanding the full context of traditional family. The traditional wife does not exist separate from the traditional family. The, and the traditional family does not exist separate from the traditional wife. They are inseparable. You cannot take the two apart. But I think what many people are fantasizing about when we think about the trad wife is that small sliver in history of the 1950s and maybe part of the 60s when the trad wife and um, is it Leave it to Beaver? I always get those shows mixed up. I Love Lucy. All those shows back then where that was the quintessential suburban life, white picket fence, trad wife. Um, and I think the the comeback of the trad wife that we're seeing right now and that the right is really promoting is the trad wife from this specific sliver of history, which if you understand, and unfortunately most Americans are just not really well-versed on history in general. We don't even know our own cultural context, let alone the cultural context of our ancestors and, and internationally. Um, that little sliver of the 1950s housewife was an anomaly. And it was not at all what traditional family has been like for the rest of human history. So the trad wife that we think about today is a pillar of the nuclear family. And you'll hear the term nuclear family used a lot by conservatives and people on the right. Um, the nuclear family is a marketing term. And a lot of people on the right have fallen for it as if the nuclear family is the, the family model that we should all aim for. But the nuclear family is very new in history. It's like for all of human history, the nuclear family didn't exist. And what I mean by the nuclear family is husband, wife, and children living in a house, white picket fence, American dream, separated from extended family, separated from even hired help. You know, a lot of most of our history, it was servants and apprentices would live on the land with these families that were much larger than just mommy and daddy and kids. So the nuclear family is a fairly modern model of living that was only recently introduced to Western society as a result of industrialization. Right. So the 1950s, like if you look back way back in history, you know, all the way as as far as we can look back, the nuclear family never existed in the early years of America. It was actually unheard of to see a husband and a wife and their children live alone and isolated from the rest of their extended family. In fact, in 1800, most American workers were still farmers and 90 percent of Americans in the early 1800s, 90% of Americans lived with or at least very close to relatives such as grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles, and servants and apprentices who were considered family even though they weren't blood related. And these were all these people were an integral part of the family economy. Um, children were not only raised by their mother, they were um, also raised by grandmas and um, aunts. And, you know, the whole idea of it takes a village to raise a child, that was true and that was lived out until fairly recently in history. 
Um, and these children would also spend a significant amount of time with their uh, extended relatives, working in the fields, contributing to the family economy, and learning from many of the other trusted adults in this family unit. You know, we're not talking about when I say it takes a village, I'm not talking about the current modern idea of it takes a village, like your friends and your neighbors and your teachers and the people at school. No, no, no. What, what it used to mean is that trusted family, very trusted family that was a small group that lived together on the same land, right? So children were not only raised by their mother. However, by until 1850, about 75% of Americans over the age of 65 lived with their children and grandchildren. That's a big statistic. So three quarters of Americans in the, in the mid uh, 1800s lived above the age of 65, lived with their children and grandchildren. So right, this is multi-generational living. So it's really important to understand that multi-generational living was, was the bedrock of family up until fairly recently. The concept of the nuclear family was virtually non-existent up until fairly recently. And this was the case all over the world, not only in the U.S., and everything started to change when young men and women started to chase the American dream in these growing cities around the country. In the late 1800s, there was a mass exodus from the rural areas into urban life, right? And this, um, the unexpected result of this, which people don't actually don't know, this is kind of a well-kept secret, this actually caused the age, the average age of marriage to lower. You might think it was the other way around, but... From 1890 to 1960, the average age that men got married dropped 3.6 years and it dropped 2.2 years for women. One of the main reasons is because city life could be really lonely and isolating. When you're living on a farm, living on a big piece of land, sprawling land with your family, grandparents, cousins, uncles, servants, apprentices, you are constantly surrounded by your family and the people that you know and love. However, when you're in the city life and you don't know people, even though it's you're surrounded by the hustle and bustle, you feel a bit lonely. And so the solution to that was marrying earlier. So this is actually, um, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but that was actually one of the unexpected results of people moving from the farms into city life in the late 1800s. So the nuclear family, as we know it today, was secured really in the early 1900s. So not that long ago, 100 years ago. So we've only known the nuclear family to be a thing in the last 100 years. And so many of us don't know our own history and don't know our own ancestors that we think that the nuclear family is the only family that is worth fighting for. Um, and around this time, this is when the husband and the father became the main breadwinner. And it was less about a family economy and more about the husband and father going out to be the breadwinner. And multi-generational living was largely re replaced by a man and a woman with children. Um, in 1960, it sh the data shows that 77.5% of children were living with their married mother and father without any extended family. So the numbers flipped. The numbers completely flipped. So you had used to have just, you know, 60 to 70 years earlier, you had the majority of kids living with extended family. And then you fast forward a few decades later, and it's the complete opposite. Most of them were just living with mom and dad without any extended family. So the entire understanding of family flipped on its head. And what used to be the majority, which is multi-generational living, became the minority. 
And the American dream of the white picket fence meant that grandparents, aunts and uncles no longer lived under the same roof and not even lived on the same land or even lived close. And families were detached, they were fractured, and this became the norm. And so you fast forward to today, I don't know about you, but almost every single person I know has to travel across state lines to see their family for Christmas. It's actually pretty rare for people to live really close to their family, let alone live in the same home as them. Um, And so, you know, the idea of even eating family dinners multiple times a week together, that was long gone. So when we speak about tradition, particularly in the context of the traditional wife, we have to realize that we've actually lost what tradition really is for the family. The tradition was not the nuclear family as we know it today. The tradition was the multi-generational family. And this was the foundation upon which marriage and child rearing were built. Um, so the trad wife can't not be fully understood without the context of true tradition. And that includes a much, much more, much, much more than the isolated nuclear family. Now, I, I don't want, I, it's very easy for people to hear this and think that I'm bashing the nuclear family. Look, I am fully aware of the vast economic changes that have taken place over the last 100 years that makes it virtually impossible for most people to live, definitely live under the same roof as their parents and aunts and uncles. Of course, with industrialization and urbanization, it doesn't really, it's not possible for a lot of people now, right? Um, even though it is possible to live near family, it's definitely possible to do that. It's it's certainly almost impossible for most people to live under the same roof. So I'm, I'm fully aware that it's not as easy anymore as it once was. I am simply pointing out that if we really want to return to tradition and if we really want husbands and wives to be traditional, we have to at least understand what the context of tradition is. Um, and I'm going to explain to you in even more detail why this is so important. Um, so this is why I say right-leaning individuals who always talk about tradition and trad wife, they're actually fantasizing about a small sliver in history in the 1950s where the wife wore pearls and a sundress and she vacuumed and she played with her new washing machine and dishwasher, which were kind of new, right? New machines and new technology while the husband spent all day working in the city and then he comes home to this wonderful uh, warm cooked meal. And so, however, this housewife dream, it actually... It, it quickly crumbled because wages were significantly cut in the 1970s. And we've seen multiple periods of high inflation since then, right? And as much as our culture loved this nuclear family slash perfect housewife model, um, we saw it slipping farther and farther from our fingertips because people on the right don't like to admit this, but we have to be honest and say for a lot of families out there, it is really, really hard to live on one income. A lot of middle-class to lower middle-class families, it is really difficult for them to live on a single income. Um, I don't, this is not an excuse. By the way, none of this is um, a, a way to, to support feminism or women working outside the homes. My goal with all of this is to put women back in the home where they belong in the kitchen. <laughs> no, but seriously, women women are supposed to nurture the home. They are supposed to raise children. They are supposed to be with their children, not in an office nine to five so they can send their babies to daycare. That's my whole point of this video. However, I want people to understand that women for all of human history, they were able 
to be with their children all the time, to do all the things around the home and nurture the home and raise their children because they had very extensive support systems. Okay, and so I want everyone to understand this because I want women to be successful at homemaking. I want women to be successful as moms and at raising children, at child rearing. It's so important because our society, as we know, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Anyone who watches my content, I'm sure you agree with me, unless you're hate watching me, which people actually do that. Um, you know how important it is for us to, to, number one, increase the birth rate. We're below birth replacement rate right now. And number two, we need strong families because families are the bedrock of a thriving society, of a, of a thriving moral society. So I'm, I'm doing this video and explaining this context of tradition because I want moms to be successful at home. So if you look at what motherhood and homemaking is for most people today, not everyone, I mean like middle-class families who live in suburban areas, the white picket fence dream. If you think about these women's day-to-day, they wake up with the kids, husband probably goes to work very early, and they're alone with the children for the majority of the day. Obviously, you have friends to see and you can go and do stuff with other kids and play dates and stuff. But for the most part, you are just alone with the children. It is up to you to do everything around the house in a way, all of these things that actually used, you used to have assistance with. And, you know, I, I hear this all the time. This is why, again, people on the right don't like to admit this. They like to just gloss over this and pretend it doesn't exist. There are a lot of moms out there who either don't want to be home alone all day and feel the pressure of having multiple kids without any help. Or number two, that's what they're doing and they genuinely don't really enjoy it because it's very isolating. And again, this is not bashing women staying at home. Women should be raising their children, but I personally believe that we are not giving a lot of these mothers the tools that they had for many generations before us, that all of our ancestors had. And so I kind of understand why so many women don't like it, don't really like being home with the kids all day and just homemaking, especially if you come from a family that doesn't have a lot of resources to um, maybe have a second car. Because I know a lot of families out there have cut down on expenses so that the mom could stay at home with the kids. Maybe you don't have a second car to take your kids out to many play dates. Maybe you don't have... Um, you know, access to go to a lot of different activities with the kids. You can send the kids to extra extracurricular activities. Um, you know, not all families, especially middle class and lower middle class, have more lower middle class have access to all of that. And back in the day, all of our ancestors, it didn't matter if you had access to those things because you lived in in a home or on land with your family. And so again, you cannot understand the role of a traditional wife without understanding the full role of full context of tradition. And raising children and educating children was never ever done by just the mommy alone. It was never done that way. I'm not saying that moms shouldn't do it today. I'm just saying that if, if men want a traditional wife, then they're gonna have to really be honest about trying to provide them a traditional family. Because again, traditional wife and traditional family are inseparable. Like you can't have one without the other. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have your parents and your aunts and uncles and cousins move into the same house with you. But if you really want uh, a traditional wife, you're going to have to at least 
try to give her some of the resources or try to provide some of the environment as all of the other traditional wives had for all of human history until 100 years ago. You know, at least move somewhere that can be close enough to family. Make sure that she has some sort of social support systems. Women were not meant to do it alone. Women are more social creatures at the end of the day than men are. We prefer to work with people. We prefer to talk more. We're more communicative. And yet for, for most of these nuclear families, it's the father and husband that's out every day socializing while the mom is home alone for most of the time. It can feel very lonely. It can feel, feel very isolating. So if we really want to return to traditional wives, we have to at least understand what the context of traditional family is and ask ourselves, how can we offer parts of that traditional family in this modern lifestyle? Because there are ways to do it. There are really ways to do it. And I think this is one of the reasons why two things are happening. Number one, we're seeing very, 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 very low rates of women who have children. So Morgan Stanley predicted a couple of months ago, maybe last year at this point, data predicts that 45% of women between the ages of 25 and 44 are going to be childless and single by the time 2030 rolls around. Sorry. That's in seven years. In seven years, almost half of all women between the ages of 25 and 44 will be single and childless. And this is partly due, of course, to the sexual revolution and feminism and women being taught that being addicted and married to your career is much more fulfilling than getting married and having children. Yes. But a lot of these women say that they don't want to be isolated at home because the nuclear family, as we know it today, I hate to say it because most people live in the nuclear family. It is unnatural. We were never meant to live isolated, away from family and away from support. Like, you know, like, again, like I said, I can understand why so many women don't want that because it is isolating for women. At the same time, we are also seeing sky high uh, rates of antidepressant use. Let's look at global antidepressant users per 1,000 people. So if you look at the very top here, per 1,000 people in Korea, 13 out of every 1,000 people use antidepressants, okay? Now let's go down to Germany. In Germany, 50 out of every 1,000 people use antidepressants. Sweden, 79 out of every 1,000 people use antidepressants. Now all the way at the bottom here, what a shocker. Look at the country that has the highest rates of antidepressant use. The United States, 110 people out of every 1,000 people use antidepressants. And we already know, I don't even have to look this up. Uh, women take antidepressants more often than men do. Like we know that already. I don't even have to look that up. We know that. And that you could, of course, this of course relates to feminism, sexual revolution, women believing that they can sleep around and have sex like men and sell their bodies online. They're not gonna have any consequences. But a lot of these women who take antidepressants are married moms. I'm sorry, but I think it's crazy that the right tries to throw this under the rug, shove this under the rug and not talk about the fact that the nuclear family has failed us in many ways. It, it irks me that most conservatives are just too afraid to talk about this. They just say, well, you know, it's impossible to live with extended families. So the nuclear family is the best that we got. Why is it the best that we got? Why can't we try to encourage families living near each other? 
support systems because also Americans were so bad at looking outside of our own country. If you look at around the world, especially in Eastern cultures, like it's very, very common, even like South American cultures, you know, my husband from Brazil, it's very common to see it there. It's very common for extended families to at least live near each other and to support each other and to help each other with kids, help each other with educating kids, looking after kids, even uh, cooking food. You cook food and you bring it to family's house so that one day someone gets the night off of cooking and you take care of each other. It's unique to Western American culture that we're obsessed with the nuclear family and it is failing us. A lot of these women on antidepressants are married mothers. Of course, I want more women to get married and have kids. The whole point of this video is to help more women get married and have kids and do it successfully. But we are too afraid to admit that the nuclear family for a lot of people is failing them, which means it's failing society. And that's because it is quite frankly unnatural. For all of human history, we never did it that way. It was always multi-generational living. I'm beating a dead horse at this point. But um, this is why I wanted to talk about this because like I said, the whole point of talking about this is to encourage women to get married and have kids. It is what we are meant to do. I'm not saying you're any less of a woman if you're not married or if you if you don't have kids or struggling to have kids. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you go. You know what I'm saying. For the most part, women are meant to do this. And if we are meant to do this, we need to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, what's the kind of environment that we are going to succeed in the most? And it's not the nuclear family. Um, I'm going to tell my own story. So my husband and I have our own story of multi-generational living. Um, one of the reasons why we really could see a life together is because we had very similar views on family. And um, in my group, The Shift, again, this this podcast is an extension of The Shift, um, which is a group for women. Again, sorry, guys. Uh, I'm posting an exclusive video on there to tell you what we have done, the choices that we have made, and the sacrifices that we have made to live with family. My parents live in our neighborhood. They live right around the corner, less than a five-minute walk away. My my, Our daughter sees her grandparents every other day, sometimes four or five times a week. We help each other with cooking. We help each other when someone's sick. We're, we are a multi-generational, we're doing the multi-generational living. My parents used to live with us for a while temporarily while we got everything sorted out. We made sacrifices to make it happen because I believe so strongly that um, that moms and dads, they they can't only do it alone because they never did it alone before. We had Josh Lacash on um, I'm Doing Great last year and he said something that always stuck with me. He says, this idea of family reunions is so stupid. It's like, why would you need to be reunited with your family? You should be with your family. And when he said that, I was like, yes. Like, why do we need family reunions? You only see your family once every five years. Okay, once a year at best. What? No wonder so many people are isolated. Almost no wonder so many moms are on antidepressants. They're separated from family and totally unhappy, especially when it comes to pregnancy and postpartum. A lot of women on, on antidepressants postpartum, and that's because what did women do for all of human history until 100 years ago? They gathered around each other when a woman was pregnant and in the postpartum phase. That's what women did. We supported each other. We helped each other. Um, 
we get, we brought food to the newly breastfeeding mother. We helped take care of the other older kids while the mom was healing postpartum. And now a lot of these moms, they just go to the hospital, pop out a baby, they come home and they have to just keep doing what they're doing and it's depressing and it's hard for them to fully heal and and learn how to juggle everything all at once. So if you want to join my women's group, uh, the link here is in the description. You can click there. I'm going to be posting an exclusive video just to explain the, what the, what kind of sacrifices we had to make and why it was so worth it and what our multi-generational living looks like, our multi-generational lifestyle looks like. It's been really wonderful for us. Um, so also in my group, like I said, we do workouts and recipes and health challenges and stuff. So it's not just exclusive content with me. Um, but that's that's I think it's really tied to the antidepressant use and nobody is really talking about that. Okay, and to pivot really quick, I want to talk about one more thing before we sign off. Uh, I shared a video to Twitter that actually went kind of viral. I didn't expect it to. Um, I I was curious. So I, I have a TikTok. I don't ever scroll through it. But every once in a while, maybe like once every two months, I decide to just take a look and see what's on there, especially in the fat acceptance, feminism type space. And I noticed there's this trend of obese people showing what they eat in a day. I'm gonna show you this video. I got the bag. Today it's gonna be a little different. I'm gonna do what I eat in a day starting at 4 p.m. I got a pretzel and cheese. Mmm. Cheddar pepper I've never tried before. Hot. Really rich in cheddar. Mozzarella stick. Mm. Mozzarella stick with marinara. Corn dog with mustard. Keep in mind, I'm sharing all these things with my mom. Say hi, mom. Hi. Sprouts. Petco. I got frozen yogurt tart. Oh my god. Um, strawberries, mango boba, and what's it called? Fruity pebbles. Mm. I got everything. <laughs> Okay, I got Torchy's tacos. Oh no, sorry, velvet taco. And Panda Express. First, a cream cheese dragon. Mmm. That was absolutely delicious. Now, my food food. I got chow mein, super greens. Uh, honey walnut shrimp and Angus beef. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the honey walnut shrimp here is amazing, especially with the walnut. Oh my gosh, she's, mm. she's not stopping. Next level. Mmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she's still going. Water from a plastic bottle. Drink those toxins, Pandas honey. Express chicken egg roll. So crunchy, so good. Oh. Mm. Veggie spring roll. Mm. Now velvet tacos. I got a Mexi shrimp and a chicken and waffle taco. These are so good. <laughs> She's still going. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thanks for tagging along to my what I eat in a day. Cheers. Oh. Mm. Oh my. Okay. All right. No. Enough. Okay. I just, hey, you know what, guys? She's 16 years old. She's 16 years old. Okay, I saw that and 
it made me so angry, not only for this girl. So first of all, I don't know if you caught it in the video. She said, my mom's here, by the way, and she's sharing the snacks with me and her mom waved and her mom's hand is like the hand of an obese woman. Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but you could tell that is child abuse. Someone on Twitter, someone bless their heart, wrote out, estimated all the calories of that. And it turned out to be 6,000 calories after 4 p.m. 6,000 calories after 4 p.m. Um, and I tweeted, I said, a 16-year-old shares what she eats in a day. Are we supposed to just pretend like this is normal and fine and these eating habits aren't putting a strain on our healthcare system and affecting the future of our country? Is it fat phobic to remind everyone that half of the U.S. is obese? So this went viral. It got over 3 million views. It got you know, almost 25,000 likes and 3,000 retweets. And a lot of people were commenting and, and quote tweeting it. And I had no idea it was going to go this big. But uh, it, here's the most upsetting part about this is that a lot of people in the comments say things like, why do you care what she eats? Why do you care what she does with her body? It has no effect on you whatsoever. This idea that we should not care what anyone does with their own body is it may be single-handedly responsible for the downfall of our society. So first of all, the idea that your, your morality should be based on whether it directly affects you is heinous. By that very logic, you shouldn't care if a stranger rapes, kills, or steals from someone you don't know across the country because it doesn't directly affect you, right? Our sense of morality is so twisted that we actually think it's okay to base what we think is good on whether it directly affects us. And secondly, of course it affects our society if half of Americans are obese. Of course it is. Not only does it put a huge strain on our healthcare system, but it also causes a, a severe dip in productivity in our economy. It affects fertility and future reproductive health of these people, which is going to affect the birth replacement rate of our country. It's going to affect the way that our entire society functions because what even a lot of people on the right fail to understand is that society is a living organism. When you allow, this is from a Burkean perspective, particularly Edmund Burke, he's called the first conservative. If you, if you allow a section of society to decay away, it's going to affect the rest of society in very real ways. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing this argument. Well, what do you care? It's just not affecting you. You're just a bully. Why do you care so much what other people do? It affects us all when people eat themselves to death, watch copious amounts of porn, have promiscuous sex all the time, participate in porn and OnlyFans, abuse themselves with drugs and alcohol, mutilate their own bodies in the name of gender theory. That affects our entire society. And I'm sick and tired of pretending like it doesn't. You people are so sick in the head that you think it's okay for a 16-year-old to abuse her body like this? Why, for clicks and views on TikTok? You think it's okay? She has a following of like 400,000 people on TikTok who follow her. And we're going to pretend like that's totally okay because it doesn't directly affect you, right? What is wrong with us as a country? The rest of the world laughs at us. They laugh at our incredibly high rates of obesity because it affects everyone. And I'm so done pretending like all these things that people do to their own bodies, it's totally okay because it doesn't affect you. Maybe we should start caring what people do behind closed doors. 
I hate that argument. Well, I don't care what they do behind closed doors. Just don't bring it out into, into the open. No, we should care. We should care sometimes what people do behind closed doors because what they do behind closed doors affects them, which affects our community, which affects our country. And women especially, they have the highest rates of extreme obesity. And you see girls like this. You see young women like this who are just abusing their body. You know what, guys? We need to face the music and understand that gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. And we have glorified it and put it on a pedestal like it's something cute to watch on TikTok because it's empowering. She can do whatever she wants. Maybe we should care what people do behind closed doors. If we did, maybe our society would be in a better place. And here's the thing about obesity. It's 100% reversible. She has a chance. She's young. She could turn it around and by her mid-20s, she could be fit as a fiddle if she wanted. We act like obesity is this something that you're born with or you're just walking down the street one day and a wizard comes up behind you and taps you on the shoulder and boom, you're just obese for the rest of your life. No, it's a completely reversible disease. And we're sitting here watching half of Americans, a lot of people that we even know and love just killing themselves with toxic food and gluttony and we're just supposed to sit back and pretend like it's okay. It makes me so angry. This is why, this is why I help women lose weight. This is what I do in the shift in my group with women. So if you guys, if you are struggling with poor eating habits, if you're struggling with your health, you can turn it around. You have all the tools you need. If you just give your body the right tools, your body is capable of healing itself. And that's the good news. And I wish that more people shared this good news because anyone who struggles with their weight has the opportunity to turn it around. You can do it. So if you're a woman who is struggling to eat healthier, you don't know where to start, maybe you, your, your weight has gone up and down, you've yo-yo dieted all of your life, come join my group. I have a lot of women who have been really, really successful. I just did a 10-week program during the winter holidays. A mom of two in her mid-40s lost 17 pounds in 10 weeks and she's still losing weight. It is possible. We watch videos like this and it's easy to laugh and be disgusted, but we need to actually do something about it. Because it's not, it's, it's not enough to just sit around and laugh at it. It's, it this is seriously affecting our country. And, and I'm sick and tired of pretending like it's not. So if you're a woman and you want to get healthy, even if you don't need to lose weight, but you just want to learn how to eat better and take care of yourself and feel better and sleep better and balance your hormones and have a better menstrual cycle, go to the link in the description. Join my women's group. It's called The Shift. That's what we do. So let's get our health in order. Let's get our life in order so we can maybe move the needle and turn this country around. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time. Join the shift if you're a lady and bye-bye.